Balancing Point Podcast. This is episode 52. Welcome to Balancing Point Podcast, where you will experience the captivating world of professional ballet. On this show, you will hear what it takes to make it in the exclusive world. Each guest will share with you their struggles, their I've made it moments, and their advice for success. And ultimately, you will learn what it is really like to live your dream. Join your host, Kimberly Falker, and today's inspiring guests as they take you on a behind-the-scenes journey into ballet. Hello, everyone. This is Kimberly Falker, and I am your host on Balancing Point Podcast, where ballet and dance are uncovered. And for those of you who are new to this podcast, you've come to the right place to learn all about what it is like to live and work as a professional dancer or find other paths within the world of dance, um, from photography to choreography and everything in between. So my guests that you'll hear from share amazing insight into how they got to where they are today and tips on what it takes to make it. So if you're either an aspiring dancer, a parent of an aspiring dancer, or just fascinated by this amazing world, you've, you've tuned in to the right show. And if you're not a regular subscriber to the show, uh, you can always go over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. And what this does for you is it automatically downloads to your computer or your smartphone the next show that um, goes live. I know that with the many podcasts that I listen to when I'm commuting or working out that the ones that I've subscribed to automatically show up on my phone. So it's kind of nice not to have to search for new shows or backtrack or whatever. So the new um, iTunes link is kind of nice because it also automatically deletes the ones that you've listened to so that you don't have to have this huge amount of shows on your phone so you can kind of pick and choose through the ones that you haven't listened to and you can always go back and listen again to the ones that you have but it doesn't keep them up on your feed um, as actively so be sure to stop by iTunes if you'd like to subscribe and if you happen to do that I would greatly appreciate you leaving this show a rating and review the show's ranking through iTunes depends largely on the ratings and reviews And of course, the higher the ranking, the more exposure the show gets to a greater portion of the audience. So I'd really appreciate any feedback you can provide on iTunes. And I do want to remind you to be sure to tune in next week as I'll be featuring my series on New York City Ballet. And I've got an amazing lineup of guests from each rank, including a year-round School of American or SAB student. So be sure to check in next week. And then I also want to remind you to enter into my giveaway. As I mentioned on Wednesday, my previous guest, Kent Becker, from episode 44, uh, has graciously graciously offered to send one lucky listener a copy of one of his prints from his gallery. And Kent is a photographer who has been taking photos of dancers during their curtain calls. And as I said on Wednesday, the photos are just so captivating because I truly tell the story of the dancer's emotions during that moment, and even some of the dancers that he has captured were um, doing their last dance, so to speak. It was uh, their last performance because they were going into retirement, which makes them even more meaningful. So what Kent is offering is one large print shipped directly to one winner. And even better is he's letting you pick which print you want the most. So if you want to enter into this drawing, 
you can go to his website, which is notmydayjobphotography.com. That's all one word, notmydayjobphotography.com. And if you go on to, into his gallery of photos, you'll easily be able to browse through each of them. And then once you've found one that you love, send me an email at balancingpoint@gmail.com. Let me know your name and which print you love the most. Now I know a lot of you might be in the car or working out or somewhere away from your computer, so it might be a little bit harder to do that. So if you don't want to start at Kent's website, you just want to shoot me a quick email, give me your name and say, I'm interested in the drawing or, you know, count me in type of thing. That's fine too. Just shoot me an email or even if you want to send a, a Twitter direct message or somehow contact me that you want to be included in this drawing, you can go back at a later time and browse through the photos and send me your pick at that time. I just don't want you to feel pressure that you have to be sitting in front of your computer. So either way, give me your name and your contact information through either my email at balancingpoint at gmail.com, through Twitter, Balancing Point, or Facebook, Balancing Point, and all of those are P-O-I-N-T-E, like the point shoe. And let me know that you're interested in the drawing. I'm going to be choosing one lucky winner a week from today. Today is Friday. Next Friday, June 6th, I will announce the winner and we'll get that print to you. All right, so let's just go ahead and get started with today's episode. Now this week, as I mentioned earlier, I am featuring my mini-series on the National Ballet of Canada. And I forgot to mention on Wednesday that if you have not gone back in some of my previous episodes, I do have three other National Ballet of Canada dancers featured on the show. In episode 43, Gillian Vanstone, who is a principal dancer with the National Ballet of Canada, um, was interviewed. And then previous to that, on episode 39, we have the lovely Heather Ogden and her husband, Guillaume Cote, who did a really special um, show on Valentine's Day where I kind of did a little bit of a mini newlywed game with them. So both of those episodes are really, really inspiring. Along with Wednesday's show featuring Trig Bay Cumston, who is a core member. On my show today, I am chatting with a super sweet and vivacious soloist named Jordana Dumec. And she grew up in New York City, but wound up moving to Toronto when she was in 10th grade to train year-round. And her journey in dance reflects a true love and passion for what she does every day. And I think that you'll hear it in her description of how she feels about what she does. And I know that you'll enjoy her energy. So let's just go ahead and get started. So we'll just jump in as quickly as possible because I know that you're limited on time. <laughs> Busy rehearsal day. <laughs> well, that's great. What are you guys rehearsing for? Um, we're rehearsing for our mixed program, which is Opus 19, The Dreamer, The Second Detail, and Spectra de la Rose. And then we're also rehearsing for our full-length ballet, Cinderella. So, yeah, we have pretty oh, full I days. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, when does that start? Um, soon. We're starting the mix program at the end of the month, and then we go straight into Cinderella right after that at the beginning of June. Wow. Yeah. So what are you in Cinderella? Do you know yet? Yes. Um, I do two fairies. One's moss, and the other one is blossom, and then I'm also a fairy attendant. So, yeah, so cool. have you ever done that ballet before? Yeah, I was actually a part of the original cast when uh, James Kodelka originally choreographed it, I believe, in 2004. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful version. So were you the same parts back then, or have you kind of shifted? I've shifted. I've moved up the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, so when we first created it, I was just a ferry attendant. So now I get to do two solos, so that's amazing. I love it. So a ballet as big as that, do you guys actually like have auditions where you're like, I really want this part and I'm going to go try for it, or is it just they pick you? They definitely pick us. You know, seeing us in the studios every single day, they see what things you're capable of doing, uh, what roles will fit you best, and then they place you in the ones that they think that you'll succeed at. So if you had your heart set on one of the parts in that ballet, you couldn't go and say, could I please have a chance at this? Or do you don't, you don't have a say over it? Really? Uh, not really, sometimes? no. I think if you wanted to learn something to get better at it, like maybe a weaker point in yourself, um, they're always welcome to have you at the back of the studio, like practicing and trying to make yourself better. Doesn't necessarily, though, mean that you'll get to do it on stage, though. Right. But do directors or um, instructors find that impressive when dancers do that? Or is that kind of like annoying get out of the studio, you know? I think it's really, it depends on the ballet and how much time they have to rehearse, how many people are in the room. I think if it's a, a smaller cast that sometimes it's better because then there's more room for you in the studio. Um, But if there's not a lot of time, then sometimes I think you might be stepping on a little bit of toes. (laughs) Literally and figuratively. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Well, um, I just want to, um, let's just go ahead and go back to the beginning with you. What age did you start dancing? Well, if you ask my mother, she says in her stomach, but (laughs) (laughs) actually started probably around four or five with those like kitty creative movement classes. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of it seems that dancers, more so than many other sports, seem to hone in or kind of focus in on that being the thing at such a young age. Did that happen with you too? Definitely. I was surrounded by different dance forms, but I always took to ballet the most. I loved it. My mom was a modern dancer, so I was always surrounded by, you know, movement and music. I loved doing everything, but I also loved playing soccer (laughs) so okay you did you're you're the first one so far (laughs) yeah I think not much extra time in your no we were I was always a very busy kid active I did ballet jazz gymnastics I played soccer and basketball and, and and what age did you just kind of quit the rest and choose the one it is pretty young I started like when I started going off to really take a lot of ballet classes I pretty much decided maybe it was around 12 13 that that's what I wanted to do as a career right and again you know that's what's so fascinating about this particular sport if you will is that at such a young age you know you rarely talk to a little boy or a little girl at age 12 that's that soccer is going to be their professional career it's usually just still an after school activity but it seems as if in ballet, 
It's almost like you grow up a bit really seem to know. Yeah, Yeah. it's a different mature. Yeah, I definitely think because of just knowing as a kid, too, that our careers are so short that you kind of have to grow up fast and make a decision because that's when you have your time to train. It's a lot harder. (laughs) It's a lot harder to work on things and get flexibility when you're 28 versus (laughs) 18 or 12. (laughs) So did you kind of um, go the traditional route with doing summer intensives and dancing after school, or did you wind up? Oh, yeah. How did you, what was your path? Um, Yeah, we worked out with my school um, that I got to leave early because at that point um, I'm originally from New York and my parents moved us to Pennsylvania so that we could have like a outdoorsy kind of life and then (laughs) unfortunately I decided to pick ballet so then they had to drive me to New York City every single day from there so yeah we would leave early from uh, my school and going for ballet class. And what grade were you in at the time? I was middle school, so that must have been like seventh or eighth grade. That's good that they worked with you on that. Yeah, I don't think my mom gave them an option. <laughs> Whereas nowadays, so many kids are leaving the tra- the traditional school for online school. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, that, I guess, provides more freedom, but it's a whole different world, really, at such a young age. Yeah, but um, I just, I liked going to a regular school and then the ballet world. I kind of felt like I was a normal kid, and then I had, like, my ballet life, like, my superhero life as a ballet dancer. (laughs) (laughs) And then what about high school? High school, uh, we moved back into New York. And I was going to another public school, but it was an art school. So they also were the same way. They would let me leave to go do all of my ballet classes. So there, it was never an issue. And then I moved up to Toronto to go to the National Ballet School in grade 10. So then everything was there for me. So we had our academics during the day and then our ballet at night. And then we were... And how did you happen to choose Canada from New York? One of my teachers, actually, Christina Fagundes, she was a soloist with ABT. And she told me about the school because she knew that I didn't want to be a a full Balanchine dancer. Because, you know, being from New York, it's really easy to just take on the Balanchine style. So she told me about National Ballet School, how they were more classical and had a wonderful program and came up and auditioned, and luckily I got in. And And so had you done a summer program there before uh, that? Before grade 10, yeah, so the summer school of grade 9. And I've done many summer programs at other schools before that. That was sort of the thing that you did during your summer, was go away for five or six weeks to an intensive. So you were 10th grade or 11th grade that you started at at National Tenth grade. Tenth grade. Yeah. And then if you had to do it over again, would you go at that same age? Does it feel Yeah. Okay. I think it was a really good age. I mean, everyone's different, right? A lot of people that I graduated with were there from grade five and graduated. So they went a lot younger than I did. But I think I really enjoyed having a bit of that normal childhood at like a public school and then my ballet at night. 
that just worked for me. And and then once I was older and, you know, really focused in my ballet and came up to the National Ballet School, then it just seemed to fit so well, you know, like your mind is just on ballet and you still have your academics there, but you're surrounded by everyone else that has the same thoughts and feelings and drive. It's a wonderful school. I've found with um, my daughter, when she went away, she was so amazed by how everybody that she was around spoke the same language as her. You know, it's like everybody seems to have that same aspiration or or just focus or whatever it is. It's a little bit different from your day-to-day life in regular school. Yeah. I think it's definitely important for especially aspiring young dancers to have both, especially with people that really understand what you're going through, like, you know, you're so dedicated to ballet, but you still have to do your academics. Like, if you're surrounded by other people that understand that as well, I think you you do better, like, in oh, all yeah, areas. It's kind of excellence breeds excellence, and if you're surrounded by that, then that exactly. would help propel it yeah. even higher, I would think, you know. Exactly. I so, think so when um, when you went away, was your goal to potentially or forever dance with National Ballet of Canada, or had you not thought like that? I hadn't thought like that at that point, like when I first came to the school. And the more I, like, watched the company and because being, you know, we went to every single program, you start getting attached to the company. I I had my idols in the company. I just wanted to dance with them. (laughs) So, That's so neat. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was really a dream come true. And I went and I auditioned other places, but I just kept always thinking of the National now, Ballet. Now, did you get in other places? Like, did you have choices? I guess it's my bigger question. Um, I had a few. Um, a lot of apprentices, like apprenticeships or asking to come for another year of schooling before getting a job, but I really just wanted to stay here. And when James offered me the contract, I was jumping up and down for joy and was just so excited and happy. It just felt like home. I just wanted to be home. So what, did you have a plan B if it didn't work out that way? Would you have gone with one of the other options, you think? I think so, just so that I would have at least had another year of experience in an, a company or another setting. Um, and then I probably would have tried again <laughs> to come back home. Do you home. think that you could have gotten into National Ballet of Canada had you not done the year round there? I, I think so. I would hope so. You do learn that, the, like you said, you do learn the ins and outs of it being a family, I would think. Exactly. And they also come and see the school a lot. And I would think they'd like loyalty, or they like those that love them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to be wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, would, you know, it seems like that would help make it a stronger company where people just, you know, have an affinity of, of love for the place. Exactly. And I think companies that have that family feel and support work better all around. Because, you know, everyone's, you know, we all have our own agenda and wanting to get to, you know, whatever ranking that we want to be or whatever solo we want to be. But if you only think of yourself 
and are very like streamlined, I think you can't get better yourself. If you have other people around you helping and you help others, it just enriches yourself and your dancing and you become a better person and dancer. And I think that that shines um, on stage from an audience perspective. I think that shows oh, definitely. When, you're, when you're more yeah. holistic versus self-centered. Yeah. Definitely. Like you can see when a group of girls are dancing on stage together, like when they're trying to dance together versus as a single person with other people dancing I around be the them. Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but here everyone we all are really supportive and wanna take care of each other and, you know, make the ballet look its best that we can possibly make. So it what look. year did you graduate and get asked to stay? I graduated in 2003, and I joined the next year as an apprentice, or that year, that summer, as an apprentice. And then, so you have a year as an apprentice, and it's kind of at the end of that year, you're either in or you're out, right? Exactly. It's basically like an audition for the entire year. Is that nerve-wracking? It wasn't for me. I think it can be for people. Um, just like how many apprentices and how many were asked to stay in the end? From my year, uh, there was only three, I believe. That were asked to stay or that were apprentices? Yeah, that were asked to stay. And And then how many were in the group total? I want to say there was maybe about, oh, sorry, there's four of us that were asked to stay. And I think there was four or five girls and four or five boys. I want to say at that time. It's usually a very small group, the apprentices. It's not like a huge group, like what a corps de ballet would be or something like that. And then if an apprentice doesn't get asked to stay, and you may not know the answer to this, do they typically kind of statistically speaking still make it out in the world? Or is sometimes that is a dancer's last straw? No, they definitely still make it. Many, many, many of them still make it. You can, like during apprentice years, usually they tell you, to still go out and audition for other places, unless you know 100% that you're getting a contract. That apprentice year, you go out, you still audition for other companies, so you'll still get many opportunities to get a job with other places, and then you've already had one year of being with a company underneath your belt, so it looks great on a resume as well. And that's considered professional if you're an apprentice? Yes, that's like you're starting your career, yeah. So that's kind of like your first job. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then, so then you were an apprentice and then you were asked to join the Corps. How long were you in the Corps then? I think I was in the Corps, so 2004, and then I believe I was promoted in 2010, 11? Oh, my years are still crossed with each other. So I think I was in Corps for like five or six years. And it, does it ever get to a point where you're like in the Corps, you're thinking, oh gosh, is this my forever thing? Or... You know, I, I never know how that works. You hear some people propelling very quickly through and others yeah, is their career. Time. Yeah. Well, for me... And that's not a bad thing, right? No, not at all. Like, I guess other some people might see, like, my promotion as that took a long time. But I think everything happens for a reason. Like, for me, I needed to get stronger and refine things. And even though... I was quick to learn and quick to do. I still had to put that extra little bit on top to make myself a soloist. And that doesn't take away from anything. So anyone that feels like 
you know, it's taking forever for me to be promoted. Maybe I'm not good enough. It's not always the case. Like, you might just need to refine. I think it's mostly refinement that you need to go from poor to lowest. Because if you're already in the company, you're there for a reason. You're talented. So it's just some little things that you probably need to work on. And I think that was what it was for me as well. And is it an annual contract even in the core? Like every year you're biting your nails to see whether or not you're still there? <laughs> it is an annual contract. <laughs> but I think you, you know, like once you've been in the company for a while, you know if you're loved and needed. <laughs> so it's not but as nail biting. What would somebody do or should they do over the course of that year if they're feeling like, oh, no, I'm I'm not not doing so well. <laughs> or I'm not being paid attention to, you know? I think if you're really unhappy or you don't feel like you're being used enough, then definitely audition. There's nothing wrong with it, auditioning. Um, to true. find, like, a better placement for yourself. Because that's also a thing for people. You really need to find a company that works with you and that you work with as well. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, like a good fit, like a puzzle. Like you, you don't want to slam a different puzzle piece in <laughs> if it's not. That's a good part. analogy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, because every, you know, I think that too many times aspiring dancers think that unless it's a specific, you know, caliber of a company, then they've, that's all they're going to look for. When in exactly. fact, it could be something you hadn't even thought of exactly. and you might be happier. And then you might propel even faster and get more solos and do more things. It's really just dependent on, you know, how you fit. And if you don't feel like you're fitting, then you have to be brave and step out into the world and find a place that does fit. So, you know, a lot of my listeners are, you know, dancers that are hoping one day to become professional. What is kind of, let's say you were you know, 13 or 14 again, like, what should they be thinking about? Or what makes, in your opinion, what's the difference between hoping to do it and actually doing it? I think it would be courage and believing in yourself. Definitely. You know, if you really want to do it, you have to go forward with all the guts that you have. And even if on the inside, you don't feel like you have many of the guts, you have to pretend on the outside like you do. Right. <laughs> sort of uh, fake it till you make it kind of thing. And what about some of these dancers that um, might have the potential or the talent, but they live in a in a location that they've tapped out of it, but yet let's say their family can't afford to send them somewhere. I mean, what do those kids do or what should they do? I would definitely say that if you find a school that – would work for you. You can contact them about scholarships. I know a lot of schools do that where they even offer full scholarships for people. If not, then yeah, that's really, it's hard. Ballet is definitely hard in that way where if you don't have the ability to get to a school or if a school doesn't have enough of a scholarship for you, um, but I, that's what I would say to do. I would definitely contact as many of the schools as possible that have scholarships and find out what their um, routines are to get the scholarships. Well, that makes sense, yeah. So I guess it's kind of like what you said. You know, it's both courage, but then it's also perseverance. If you want it, you definitely have to maybe fight for it a little. Yeah, and you always you need 
like support and love from family and friends around you. I know me personally, I would not be where I am today without them. But yeah, definitely perseverance. You really, <laughs> ballet's hard. So then, you know, speaking of that, you know, in ballet, as you said, you wind up maturing younger because it is a short-lived career to some degree. And you know, one of the one of my previous guests said the one thing you know for sure about ballet is it won't be your first chapter. There will be at least two or three after that. So, what do you see as maybe your second or a third chapter? I could see myself teaching or coaching. I love I love helping people, and I think I have a really good eye for coaching and helping people like figure out problems and otherwise besides that I love fashion (laughs) so maybe owning a store somewhere would be fabulous. Do you think you'd ever wind up back in New York or you think Toronto now is kind of your hometown? I really see Toronto as my hometown now. I love it here. That's what I hear. It's just wonderful. It's a beautiful city and so it's laid back, but you have it's always bustling with something to do. So it's that's what I don't miss about New York was like how hectic everything always felt. <laughs> For me, I know a lot of people love it. That's why millions of people live there. But <laughs> but yeah, I love Toronto. It's definitely my home now. So you know, I know that you've got to get on to rehearsals. So I'm not going to keep you for too long. But um, in closing, I do like to ask a couple of the questions that um of each of my guests and it's kind of interesting to hear how they each answer it but um if you could go back in time to your 13 year old self with the wisdom confidence and lessons you've learned along the way what advice would you give to yourself at that age i would tell myself continue to believe in yourself is that because at that age you're kind of doubting or is that you think that that's the age that typically ways yeah that's definitely an age where you know your body is changing and you're trying to learn how to do all these technical moves and everything's really difficult sometimes you can get a little frustrated which continues into adulthood but (laughs) but you're right it does seem to be a, a turning point of of it really becoming serious or not exactly and I know a lot of people can get down and frustrated which you know we still go through when we're in the company but as long as you continue to believe in yourself and you know you know that you're talented so just keep going forward with it and don't let any negative thoughts get into your head so with that same wisdom and confidence and lessons that you learn what advice would you give to any aspiring dancer now I say be confident in yourself and, again, believe in yourself. And if that's really hard, you sort of have to play that mind game with yourself where you tell yourself that you believe in yourself until it actually happens because it actually shows. (laughs) And then finally, do you have a favorite motivational quote um, that you kind of resort to or think about in your career path? I think I feel like I keep saying it. It's so so cheesy, but yeah, definitely believe in yourself. <laughs> no, well, that's good. You're right, though. I mean, it makes a huge difference. It does. I, I think whenever I get down on myself or I'm frustrated because I can't do a step, I have to continually remind myself, you know, you can do this. 
like be positive, believe in yourself, keep going with it. You know, there's always going to be a hurdle, but we have to be thankful for those hurdles because those are the things that make us better. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's really a nice one. And I agree. I think that that's the thing that any dancer or anybody should just kind of chant to themselves throughout the day. Definitely. (laughs) It makes a difference, I think. It does. It does. It's the self-talk that gets in your way. Yeah. Or helps you. It shows. Yeah. It shows in your dancing. It shows how you carry yourself and it just helps. (laughs) Well, Jordana, thank you so much. Now, am I pronouncing it right? Is it Jordana or Jordana? It's Jordana. Jordana. Okay. Well, I'll edit that out and and say it right. (laughs) That's the beauty of this whole system. (laughs) (laughs) I get all different versions. It's really okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And thanks, everyone, again for tuning in today. And I know many of you may not be near your computer as I mentioned earlier so even if you're not able to browse through Kent Becker's photos at notyourdayjobphotography.com to pick out your print you could also just send me an email or message me on any of my social media sites with your name and contact information and I'll add your name to the drawing and don't forget to tune in next week for my series on New York City ballet company members starting from the ground up And in the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or anything in between about any of my guests, I do love hearing from you guys. So until then, have a great day.